If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to a post game. Buckeye Talks, even me, it's Nathan Baird and Drew Gillis after Ohio State's 35 to 16 went over Rutgers. Ohio State is 9-0 and with three games left on the schedule. One road game left at the end of the month on November 25th. That game against Where? Michigan, which is, this is all it's somewhere. It's up north. It's the team that's up north has their own set of drama going on. But we're not here to talk about that one. We're going to talk about Ohio State's drama. I sent out a call out to the Texas for like rants. Just thoughts. I just want to know what people are thinking after a 35-16 to 16 went over Rutgers, where Ohio State now 9-0, and and we're just going to react to what people said, because I just want the Texans to drive, and their thoughts to drive a pod like this, where Ohio State won by 19 points. They did trail at one point in this game. There were some good, there were some bad, there were some weird, there were some ugly. So let's just get into it. Start with the offensive side. From the 6-3-0, guys, I feel like this offense is on the cusp. Marv is Marv. Trey is looking like the best back in the league, and the offensive line is getting a push. If they can just clean up the mental lapses, drop passes, missed assignments, and such, which seem to come in a come in a bu- bunch, they might be able to get 80% of what they were last year. It seems ugly, but this offense is making a step, it seems, every week. Nathan, do you think the offense took a step this week, whether it was an execution or just like stars being stars, do you think this offense is starting to trend in the right direction, even if it's not quite where it needs to be yet? Well, I think those are sort of two different questions. The first one you asked me is whether it took a step. I don't know that I think it took a step. But the thing is that you can see, with Trevion Henderson being what he's been these last two weeks, with Emeka Buka now back, although he didn't do a whole lot today, but he's back in the mix with Marvin Harrison still being Marvin Harrison, with Comcord having a week where, with the exception of the interception, which was a poorly thrown ball, it wasn't like, it wasn't the same bad decision-making that we saw at Wisconsin in a couple of critical places. You see the elements. You see the elements. I think what makes it hard to get super enthused about that 
and I hesitate to even say it that way because it sounds like I'm saying that you should be down on the offense. I don't know how I'm necessarily saying that, but I'm just saying that it, 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 this breakthrough that we've kind of been waiting for all season, right? Where we think that all those elements are there and it's just a matter of putting them all together. Like that's sort of been simmering all season. It isn't like a new thing. Comicord was trying to, after the game, make his case that the offense was much worse at the start of the year and that there has been a steady progression. And he's, you know, still saying we're a long way from where we want to be, but uh, he thinks they're headed in the right direction. It's just a, it's just that it's week 10 next week and uh, week 12, as you already mentioned, there's a, a big old monster waiting at the end of that level. Uh, you know, you, 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 you don't get to ease into this much longer. You've got two weeks to like really find your stride to kind of really put this package together and then unleash it on Michigan. And there's also only so much these next two weeks will tell you because it's Michigan State, which I know just beat Nebraska at home today. But you're talking about just the messy middle of the Big Ten and who knows what happens on a week to week there. Because guess what? Illinois also beat Minnesota tonight. And Illinois is not that great. And Minnesota is not that great. There's like a lot of teams in the West and uh, they're just kind of beating up on each other. So these next two weeks don't absolutely solve anything. But I think if if they if they do really combine it, things from an efficiency standpoint, because tonight was a, a really promising day for Trevian Henderson again, and Trevian Henderson as a receiver and what he did after the catch. It wasn't a super efficient day passing the ball. If they put the running game with an efficient passing game for an entire game in either of these next two games, then I think it's time to be a little bit more encouraged. So, Andrew, Nathan just pushed back on the idea that maybe the offensive, that maybe we saw some things we need to see. So, uh, let me throw another, I'm not going to say negative, but just a different viewpoint and a viewpoint that's actually on point with what Nathan just said and see if you agree with this. This is Brian from Washington. Sorry, not sorry. I'm one of those people who was panicking in the third quarter. In the third quarter of this game, this thing was still close up to the point that Jordan Hancock got a pick six. That also knocked Josh Proctor out of the game, but Jordan Hancock gets a pick six that kind of shifts momentum in Ohio State's favor. And actually, it's part, probably the biggest reason why Ohio State ended up winning this game. So this, that's what he means by I was panicking in the third quarter. I would apologize for my negativity, but at some point, I think we have to have fast starts to games. One of two things are true right now. Either Day's game plans are poor coming into games, or the players we have on offense are not as great as we think. And if it's both, we're S-word. I don't know if we can say that on the side, so I'm just not going to test it. It's hard to know what it is. Stallions? Sometimes our fo- Yes. Stallions. Yes. Yes. We're stallions. <laughs> Technically, I am stallion because I went to the sales. Shout out to RJ Bay. But. It's hard to know what it is. Sometimes our five-star receivers are dropping easy passes. Sometimes the five-star QB is making crappy decisions and throwing ugly passes. And sometimes the O-line misses assignments. It's never just one thing in a game. It's all of them at different times. And that makes me worry that it may be coaching. We can't afford this kind of first half against the team up north. We just can't. Andrew, is that texture is Brian from Washington on to something with when talking about this offense? He's on to something, but 
this is just kind of what this team is. Like it, we're nine games into this. I said this with the run game. You know, at some point you just are what you are, and I I, th- I think the run game's actually gotten better since I said that. But I think we could also just say Ohio State is what it is at this point. Like look throughout the year, and they've done this for months, right? They've done this since week one. It was, uh, you know, when they played Indiana, it was, I believe, uh, 10-3 at halftime. I think it was 10-3 at halftime when they played Indiana, and they won that game 23-3. And they were up on Notre Dame 3 to nothing, and they won that game 17-14. to And they were, up Penn, they were up on Penn State 10-6, to and they won that game 20-12. to And they were tied with Maryland at halftime, and they should have been losing to Maryland at halftime. And they had three offensive points. And they won that game by 20. Like, this is just what they do. They were losing to Rutgers today. Like, this is just kind of what they do and what they are. Um, You know, I understand that, you know, you can talk about, hey, look, this team needs to start faster. I agree. They absolutely need to start faster. This team needs to do things more explosively. I agree. They need more explosive plays. But at some point, you just kind of have to, like, you have to realize (laughs) <laughs> and with, uh, you know, with apologies to uh, Ohio State fans that, uh, you know, have heart conditions, it's going to be a tough couple of weeks here. Like, this is just what this team has done all season long, right? Like, you know, it's a, it's an Ohio State team that, right? look, I think when coaches say we wear on you and we lean on you and we win games because of our toughness and our built Ford tough and they do that whole song and dance like they put on there that 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 type of voice and they make things like very gritty and like that's the mold that they try to send out I think a lot of times that it's it's at the very least exaggerated I I think it's exaggerated a little bit here but also Ryan Day's right when he says that they just lean on people eventually I don't know if it's lean on people I think they just out talent people like I think when you just when you have this type of talent that matches up with teams like a Rutgers, like a Wisconsin, like an Indiana, like they're just better than them. And that's going to show out over the second half. So this is just what they do. The defense is really good. The defense is repeatable. We can talk, we're obviously going to talk about the defense moving forward, but like the defense is what it is. It's really good. And yeah, I, I, I just think that this offense kind of is what it is you're not going to get up on anybody 28 to nothing in the first half. That's just not going to happen. That's not what this team is built to do. Nathan, in your story at the buzzer, you use the word queasy. Queasy way of winning. Ohio State football's queasy way of winning subdues Rutgers and better be enough to beat Michigan. Do you think Ohio State can queasy its way? To a win over Michigan is the way they're playing right now enough? Can that can they can, is this successful when you get back on the field with like minded talent? And I just for full transparency, I was probably writing that headline when it's twenty one to six early in the fourth quarter. Rutgers or sorry twenty one sixteen early in the fourth quarter. Rutgers cuts it to score, and I think that's pre- pretty fair because I think fans are queasy. We're only up by one score, less than one score against Rutgers in the fourth quarter in their place, and um. I, my point being that this thing that we've been waiting for is maybe not going to show up. I feel a little bit less after a, a full evaluation of some things because, again, I think Trevin Henderson doing what he did, 
and being what he has been in these last couple games is starting to maybe be the thing that could, I don't know if it breaks the dam, but maybe it punches a big enough hole in it that it gives this offense a, a little bit more help in a, in a matchup game like that. Um, but my, my overall my overriding point being that it's, this is how it's going to be. Like you need to just strap in and it's going to be, it's going to be rough in, in Ann Arbor. You're going to probably be on the edge of your seat at best down to the last seconds of that game. It, and um, maybe that was destined to happen anyway, but if you were waiting for um, like sort of the super team, right? Like we talked for a couple of years about the potential of a super team this year for Ohio state. And that has faded over the course of this season because of the limitations of the offense and it still sounds like a hard thing to to say almost that you think that this might just be a bit of a plod to get to that point. Um, now, here's the one thing I will even come back at myself on a little bit that you have to remember. And I wrote about this at the buzzer, too. I tried to put this in the full context. Rutgers came into this game as the number eight team in the country in opposing passing efficiency ranking, like defensive pass efficiency. Like they, this is what they did to Ohio State and Common Core today is what they have done to every team they've played, more or less. And the fact that Common Core only averaged like eight yards per attempt today and that he threw an interception on 26 attempts um, is not some kind of catastrophe. Like it's just not. And this, they had a tough time throwing the ball today against a team that defends the pass very, very well. And I don't think, though, that it's fair. Also, I think it is also fair to say that's not the Ohio State standard. That Ohio State has gone out and recruited elite quarterbacks and elite receivers and prioritized those positions at the top of this program in some ways, right? Like they, they it's the way they structure the coaching staff. Like there's a lot of things that go into how good this offense is supposed to be. So when you've done that, you're not supposed to just be playing to a draw, even against good defenses. Like this is supposed to be where you separate. And I don't think that we're seeing separation. I think we're seeing them because of how strong this defense is, this defense buying them enough time to figure it out week to week. I think that I'm what I wrote at the buzzer was more a sort of resignation that I think maybe the separation against teams of a certain caliber is just never going to be there. So it's just going to be a it's just going to be a slog, and I think that could, might be okay though. So two textures agreed with a lot of your what you just said. Jim from Perrysburg, I think folks underrated Rutgers. This was a good team. McCord had just one bad play, otherwise played very well, and Henderson has never played like this for us. I don't know about that, but I, I understand the sentiment that they're getting at the way he's played the last two games: four hundred and fifteen total yards on fifty-five touches. He's been at a different level. He is a different dude when healthy, fairly happy with how everything looked overall. And then Kelly from Millersburg. This game was a microcosm of the whole season. Offensive struggles in the first half, a defense that bails you out, and special teams that are less than spectacular, which we'll get into special teams on this podcast as well. Another week goes by, another special team snafu. Injuries tested the youth of our secondary. I'll take a road win, but they need to clean things up if we're going to beat the cheaters. 
up north. So we get another way of describing the Michigan game. Before we go to the break here, I do want to touch on Kyle McCord. Andrew, Kyle McCord, 19 of 26, 189 yards, three touchdowns, an interception, 73% completion percentage, and a quarterback rating of 164.5. Did you think Kyle McCord played well? No. (laughs) Because I don't think played well is the, the same way of saying was fine. Like, I think fine is how I would describe Kyle McCord today. I think he was let down by some of his receivers, and I'm trying not to let that kind of cloud some of my judgment. Um, you know, obviously he he had some really high moments. You know, I thought the touchdown throw to G. Scott was outstanding. Um, I thought that that was a just remarkably placed football. And, a remar- I mean, shout out to G. Scott because that was a, just as good of a catch too. Um, you know, that was just a really nice play. So, like, you saw – good there right like that not even good that that's great right that is great quarterback play from Kyle McCord that's outstanding then you also saw the throw that he should have made the the read was correct the decision to throw it was correct he just didn't throw it well but those are the kinds of decisions that we have talked about coming back to bite you in the hindquarters because that directly led to Ohio State being down at halftime, right? Like that, like Rutgers kicked three field goals in that second quarter, and it was 9-7. And that directly led to an Ohio State deficit going into the break. And frankly, like there was a, it was just a not good sequence for a handful of plays for Ohio State there because you have the, the interception by McCord, and then the defense allows uh, Rutgers to move down. And then the defense starts to move, uh, allow him down the field again at the beginning of the second half. And obviously we'll touch on that later. But those are the mistakes that we have harped on and that we have talked about and have said those have got to change. I mentioned this in one of our YouTube videos. There was a play where we all pointed to each other in the first half and we saw Marv streaking down the right sideline and Marv was open. And Kyle has said multiple times in the past, if Marvin Harrison Jr. is one-on-one with anyone in the country, I'm taking that matchup. And I think in the press box, the immediate sentiment was, oh, he just missed him. He didn't see it. I need to go back and look, but I saw that replay once, and my first thought was, he didn't miss him. He didn't throw it. And I, I think that there's some confidence issues maybe with him right now. That would be where I would be concerned with McCord is that you saw improvement in, you know, he didn't have as many kind of backbreaking plays, like certainly as he did against Wisconsin last week. You know, there were just a couple decisions where you looked at what in the world was that? Like the play that was almost a backwards pass. There was a grounding, um, you know, there was no grounding stuff there. You know, the interception wasn't just like a ridiculous interception. It was just a poor throw. You know, those are going to happen. So I think he was fine. I'm not going to sit here and say he was great. I'm not going to sit here and say he was bad. I think it was aggressively middle of the road, which we can have a discussion on whether that's good enough to win you games, but it was fine for today. And I do think it was an improvement over last week. So I think it was an improvement over last week, but I'm not going to sit here and say that it was, it was great or it was even super good. I'm just going to say that it was fine. Sorry, I, I think I remember the play you were talking about um, where he threw underneath rather than going up over the top 
to Harrison. And it's hard for us to tell. And when you're watching on TV, it's hard to tell because the vantage point is completely different than what they have on the field. And so where where his vision is blocked on a given play, I, I you never know. Um, I think it probably falls into one of those categories, though, of a throw that C.J. Stroud might have made that Comacord can't make yet. That, that second year C.J. Stroud certainly might have made. But I also thought it was a play that where they were they were in like far into plus territory at that point. I can't remember if they were in the red zone yet, but it might have been a shot that he didn't feel developed enough to that point where time where space was kind of running out. Do you, do you understand what I'm kind of saying there? that he had to make a, a quicker throw than that. I, I don't know. It'd be something worth asking him maybe Sure. Um, yeah. if we get him on Wednesday game, which we haven't, but I, I want to, I'll credit Marcus Hartman from the Dayton daily news for throwing this out earlier today. Cause I thought it was funny. So comic court. Well, yeah, I can give you two stat lines. 13 of 21, 154 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Pretty, that's pretty pedestrian numbers, right? Against, against anybody. 19 of 26, 189 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. That was Kyle McCord today. The other was C.J. Stroud last year against Rutgers, a worse Rutgers defense than the one Kyle McCord played. Now, numbers don't tell you everything, and there's something to be said for the vibe that you have on the field in a given game where you know what you're watching sometimes. I just feel like we just did a whole pot about this earlier this week. If you guys, if there's people out there who are still waiting for Comicord to show up and just throw lasers all over the field and bomb a team into submission, that has never been what was realistically on the table from day one for this offense this year. It just, that wasn't what was going to happen. That was a complete like outlier of the potential opportunity, the potential outcomes for him. I think he can play better. I think he can be more efficient, but I think it's going to, be roughly what it has looked like all year. And what that has meant at times is days where it's it's less efficient like today. And that what it also means is he steps up and gets it done against Notre Dame. Like that's all part of the package here. And just because it isn't a um, an aerial attack, I know that they have weapons on offense that they want to use more. I know that they, you know, but they just got one of them back in Ibuka. They were missing another one today in Cade Stover. And if you have less than 100% of Ibuka, then it's really like being down a starter plus, right? If he's not like completely back to himself, you just, you know, he's getting back into game shape, all that stuff. This isn't me coming up with excuses. I graded, I've graded Kamakord every week in about the same range, uh, just trying to grade him against himself and uh, trying to grade him against. Again, not not hyperspacing into unrealistic expectations um, to to have to have looked at this the way we looked at it to start the year. So I just don't think that whether Comacord is uh, Comacord made some really great throws today. He made some like genuinely really good throws today, and he also made a really bad one, and probably some others that he wishes he had back. That's just what it's going to be. Like that, that's who you've got at quarterback, but who you have at quarterback is better than what you have at like multiple other positions. And if those positions were playing better, then you wouldn't notice the quarterback as much. I thought that he played smart. Did he push the ball down the field and try to, you know, go maximize every throw? Probably not. And when we rewatch this, Nathan, we'll probably see that, but he took what the defense gave him time after time. And the, 
Short passing situation, he was 12 of 13. Mid-range, he was 5 of 14, so that's where he struggled in the middle of the field. But young quarterback, that happens sometimes. Deep balls, he was 2 of 4. But he didn't force anything. There was no reckless moment, which we have constantly seen from him over the last couple of weeks of like, that might cost you in a bigger game. Because even his interception, we said it in the moment, and then Ryan Day confirmed it after the game, good read, bad throw. So just execute it a little better, and it doesn't end up in an interception. It probably is a completion to Marvin Harrison Jr. So I thought that was a step for him, is can you just play smarter? Can you make better decisions? Or can you not make the bad decisions? And he never made the bad decision. One more thing from a Texas, and this will lead us into the conversation we're going to have after the break. Tony from the 3-3-0. The defense is crazy good, missing Burke, Proctor, Ransom, and having an obviously injured JT Tweemalowal, and they still have a great game. I know it's not great to say, but take away that pick and fake punt, and Rutgers doesn't score more than six points. Offensively, I thought McCord started extremely well, taking what the defense gave him up until that pick. Then after, he was delivering strikes. You guys talked about in the pod that he can't make those bad mistakes, and I think he took a step in the right direction. I think he, I think come the last Saturday in November, first team to 21 wins. Just that last part, quickly, yes or no answer. Did you guys agree with that? Right now where we stand, first to 21 in the Ohio State-Michigan game wins? No. no. I, I don't know if I'd go that far. Um, but I think that's, that's probably the range we're talking about. I mean, Ryan Day last year saying – in those matchup games, those like playoff games and stuff that you had to score in the 40s was true for that team because that offense, that defense was going to yield that much. This defense is, I don't think, going to do that much unless, unless you see a, um, unless you see a, a version of what maybe something like Rutgers had to go through today, which is your offense is stagnant enough that it just keeps putting your defense in bad positions. Uh, or if they do, if they screw around on special teams like they did today, and 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 put their defense against the wall too, then you start giving up points that the team doesn't earn. Then maybe the, then maybe it gets out of hand. But I, I would still, I would right now expect a game in the twenties. Yeah, I mean, this I'm not going to say first to twenty four or first to twenty one, but I might say like first to twenty four, first to twenty seven, because if it's, I mean we could absolutely talk ourselves into like 24, 21 or, you know, 24, 20 or 27, 21. Like, so yeah, we're, we're not, this isn't, this isn't going to be, you know, 45, 46 because a team goes for two on the last play of the game. And like, in a, you know, both teams had 400 yards passing or something crazy. So I think that's the range we're talking about. I just wouldn't go that far. Okay. That's fair. We're going to take a quick break there. And when we come back, We'll talk defense, we'll talk special teams, we'll talk injuries, because Ohio State has a lot of those, clearly, at this point late in the season as we get deeper into November. And we'll get more into that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. 
The ultimate never done that can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. And we're back here on Buckeye Talks, even means Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis after Ohio State's 35 to 16 win over Rutgers. I think we've talked really, really highly about this defense for nine weeks and deservedly so. With that being said, Ohio State allowed Rutgers running back. Kyle Monagai to run for 159 yards on 24 carries. And there were times where he was gashing them in the run game. This comes from Rob in Texas. Defense take a step back today. I've noticed over the past two weeks a problem with not wrapping up and missing tackles. And then Gary in the 217, Rutgers ran on the defense in the second half. Is that a template for Michigan? And that is the, the more important question in this situation. Andrew, we can start with you. I mean, Michigan likes to run the ball. And in fact, they're very good at running the ball. They've got two running backs who are very, very talented. I understand that Donovan Edwards hasn't necessarily played that great so far this year, but Blake Corum was a Heisman Trophy candidate until he didn't play against Ohio State last year. With the way Rutgers was able to gash Ohio State in the run game at times, the, only the second time this year Ohio State's allowed a rusher to have over 100 yards, but the way it looked, did it make you at all look a little – Nervous, feel a little nervous about how Ohio State can potentially stop the run against Michigan. Well, I think it, I think it has to, right? You know, I, the run game is is what killed Ohio State today, and that was what you knew going in. Like it wasn't, you know, it, it it wasn't a situation where you're playing a team like Rutgers, and then they just threw all over you, and you went, "Wait, what in the world was that?" Like you knew they were going to try to run the ball, and that's exactly what they did. So. That that would scare me just that you knew it was coming. You knew what was going to happen, and Rutgers still was effective in running the ball. And I guess this is a glass-half-full, glass-half-empty kind of thing, but you look at these drives, Rutgers, field goal from the Ohio State 4, field goal from the Ohio State 3, field goal from the Ohio State 2. Note, you don't win games with field goals, but, that, but I digress. Uh, interception at the Ohio State 20, they scored a touchdown, and then turnover on downs at the Ohio State 13. So that is one, two, three, four, five trips to the Ohio's inside the Ohio State 20 that resulted in nine points. Like that, so I, I, you can say that, look, Ohio State's defense, they still haven't allowed more than 17 points this season, and that's true, and that's great, and 
that's what you need to do. And that, de- you know, the defense has done its job and you could point to the plays of the goal line. Okay. Well, Ohio state just stood up tall and you know, they did their job at the goal line and they did these great things at the goal line. But the other side of that coin, the glass half empty side of things is Ohio state very well could have been down at halftime, like 13 to seven or I mean, 17 to like it could have been a little bit different than it was and I think that 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 I'm trying to wrap my head around this and I'm I'm trying to figure out how to view this because the run game was not the the run game you knew coming in for Rutgers was going to be what they tried to do to move the ball down the field I mean their quarterback Wimsat at 10 of 25 for 129 yards he really wasn't a super big threat even though there were a few throws that he missed that would have been you know big time plays for Rutgers I just look at this as like they're you knew what they were going to do and they still kind of moved the ball on you. And not only that, they moved the ball on you and got agonizingly close to making this a one score game. Like if one of those touchdown or one of those field goals gets flipped, I mean, it, for when, Ohio, when Rutgers was driving and they turned it over on downs, that game's 28, 20 and they're going in to try and tie the game. Like this was a, this was a game that I think was closer than the 19 point margin would indicate so yeah the the run game would absolutely scare me because you know what Rutgers was going to do and when Michigan when you play Michigan when you go to Ann Arbor you know what Michigan's going to try to do and Rutgers was still able to run the ball and I I don't know I it's Ohio State made the plays when it needed to but there were a lot of situations that you could say well they didn't make the plays they needed to to keep them out of those situations in the 713, Nathan, my biggest concern for OSU was how much ground yardage they gave up. Defense good, but stopping the run may cost them against the team up north. Second biggest concern, McCord's ball security, though that wasn't necessarily an issue today. But and then best most positive thing was Travion Henderson. But just the idea of we've talked about it sometimes in the past about the sometimes Ohio State can get gassed in the run game. And then you would look at the numbers and it's like, well, overall, they're top twenty run defense in the country. But today it seemed like some of the worries that you had about Ohio State in the run game, especially up the middle, kind of came into fruition. So a couple of things. So 45 of the yards that Monongai had today came on that cousin of the fumble Ruski that they ran, the the Correct. snap to – so that's a, it's a trick play on fourth down. Um, Ohio State had really bunched guys up at the line of scrimmage and then just didn't have anybody to get out and contain when they ran the play they did. So that I'm setting that aside. I'm not saying that that's okay that you allowed that, but I'm setting that aside in evaluation of how Rutgers drove against the defense because I think that is a separate issue there. Um, I mean, this guy is a good running back. <laughs> this guy is on in pace to rush for a thousand yards. That's the first time anybody at Rutgers has done that. In a long, long time since since before Ryan since Day was 2012. With, yeah, so you're talking about you know <laughs> coming up 11 years. First, Ryan Day was not even affiliated with Ohio State football the last time. Um, and none of these people were <laughs> the last time uh, that someone ran for a thousand yards at Rutgers. However, I, I get what people are saying, and if you're if you're looking for the one thing that is sort of hanging out there it's it is this it's like the one it's the season long i wouldn't say vulnerability but the season long question 
that, yes, this defense is doing good things. This defense is not really playing dynamic offenses. What happens when they play a dynamic offense? The closest thing that they have played is Notre Dame. And Michigan is a different level version of that. So what what makes a what what makes a bigger impact in your estimation at this point? The other thing though is that first half. Yes, I get what you're saying, Andrew. That the score could have been different. The reason the score wasn't different was because of the defense. It wasn't things the defense wasn't doing that was causing the problem. I mean, they had to defend the short field after whatever happened on that punt. We have to talk about that. They had to defend the short field after the combo court interception. I can't remember what the third process was that led to a field goal. But like they kept getting this offense or special teams like mistakes that were not of the defense's doing have the past two weeks kept putting this defense defenses back against the wall, and they keep responding. They keep keeping teams out of the end zone for the most part all season. They've kept teams out of the red zone at all, and then inside the red zone they've become uh, really, really, really stingy. So I think the totality of this defense. I don't come out of this game thinking that it's a problem. It might be the reason they can't beat Michigan. I come out of this game with even more evidence, I think, that this defense is the reason they could beat Michigan. Because I feel like that uh, when healthy, and let's not forget that this they ended this game with four starters, four defensive starters, four guys who might reasonably be first-team All-Big Ten players this year on the sideline. Or, or at home. Two of them didn't even come. With with Tommy Eichenberg also getting hurt and Josh Proctor uh, not finishing the game. And then JT Tumaloa also, Tumaloa also banged up. So five of your 11, all five starters, all veteran starters all banged up today. And let's not pretend that that doesn't have an effect on this defense, right? So all in all, I don't come out of this game with like alarm bells going off that they didn't stop the run better. You know, 23 for 114 is what that running back did when um, – so you're talking about five yards of carry. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not a great defensive performance. That's not a team running all over you. I, I think it was a result. I mean, this is what Rutgers did. They were just going to run the ball all day long. And Jim Knowles even you know, admitted to that fact after the game. Like we just had to contain it. We knew what they were coming in here to do, whether it was what their quarterback, Gavin Winston, or what their – Running back, excuse me. To your point, Nathan, the field goals, the first field goal they held them to was after the 45-yard run on the trick play on fourth down. The second field goal was after the snafu with the special teams thing. And then the third one was after Kyle McCord's interception. So to the point, Ohio State teams get to the red zone against Ohio State very minimal. And when they get there, they're not scoring touchdowns. This is from one of our texters, Terry in Toronto. So shout out, we've got texters in different countries. Other than the 19-yard touchdown and five red zone trips, Ohio State gave up a net two points. Three field goals and a pick six is how he broke it down. That's absurd. That last TD, and then he he wanted to mention this too. This was about Marvin Harrison Jr., which right now the entire Ohio State athletic department seems to be on a Marvin Harrison Jr. for Heisman Trophy campaign. We got a thing from Jerry in our email uh, Ryan Day has been bringing up Marvin Harrison Jr. in that conversation for a couple of weeks when he gets asked about it. Gene Smith just tweeted it out as we're recording this pod Saturday evening. So there's a big, clear Marvin Harrison Heisman Trophy push going on right now. 
<laughs> the last TD was very clearly a let's get Marv to New York call, right? Easily run for a touchdown, but he didn't have big yardage. Get him two tutties and keep him in the mix. First half felt like Maryland. What what in the actual F word? Because we're not allowed. To, I'm not going to say that on this pod. Sometimes feels like 2002, except the games don't finish as close. Best part of going nine and zero, which respond chance to go ten and zero. But I, I to, back to the defensive point. I think you're right, Nathan. I mean, every defense has to give up something. And on a day when you're playing a team who's going to run it, run it some more, and then run it some more, he probably was going to compile up yards. But it didn't feel like – I felt like Ohio State's defense controlled the game, even if Rutgers did move the ball every so often. Right. Even when it was 21-16 in the fourth quarter, I wasn't thinking, Ohio State's going to lose this could lose yeah. this game. I felt like it would be – Something crazy would have to happen for that point. And also, like, did this feel like Maryland to you guys? Because I feel like we came out of Maryland with a lot less, even though they scored actually more points in that game. It was 37-17 versus 35-16. So very similar. Rutgers is better than Maryland. Rutgers is certainly a better defense than Maryland is. And Ohio State only scored 28 points on offense today. So you can, I guess, factor that into that. But, like, it's – I don't know. I didn't come out of this thinking, like, this was – similar to that part of the Maryland game that because especially because you had a running game in this game it maybe is maybe that's maybe their point like you can flip you can flip the running issues against Maryland for some of the passing issues today I I guess is maybe what they're getting at I don't know I I guess I, I would just say still like Michigan is going to run the ball on Ohio State Michigan might be the best team in the country Michigan is a tremendous offense and Ohio State's a tremendous defense. But often in college football, when a tremendous offense meets a tremendous defense, the offense is still going to move the ball some. But what you are mm-hmm. seeing from this defense is an ability to thwart those red zone opportunities and hold teams to field goals. They're not going to do it every time. Michigan is going to score multiple touchdowns against Ohio State. Ohio State has not allowed more than two touchdowns in a game this season. Michigan will probably be the first team to do it. Or they'll at least they'll get at least fourteen. I would say they'll get at least two touchdowns. And I would I would right now kind of assume that they're going to score. So again, you come out of this game thinking the defense is going to let you down. The defense is the chance that you have to beat Michigan. That they can that they can interrupt them enough. That they can frustrate them on enough drives. That they can get the ball back to the offense enough that even though the offense is going to also have some tough sledding that day, that it's going to get enough reps at it. That that'll be the time that Trevion breaks one. That'll be the time that you get the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. and he makes a catch and nobody else in the country can make. Like this, the, the Michigan game will be won by this defense, or it won't be won. I think the Maryland comparison was more about there was Ohio State's offense before the pick six, and then Ohio State's offense after the pick six, and I think. When Josh Proctor got that pick six against Maryland, it did kind of spark some momentum, and you saw the offense start to get some things going. I think the same thing happened today against Rutgers, where the offense, you had the the, the quality early drive where you got the touchdown pass from Kyle McCord to G. Scott, but after that, things were just kind of going haywire. So when Jordan Hancock starts the second half off with a pick six made possible by Josh Proctor, once again, who we're going to get into in a second here because he's a part of that long list of injury people we have to talk about. It did seem like it was a spark of momentum for Ohio State. So I do think that's where the, the Maryland comparison comes in because outside of that, it probably wasn't the same game. But just what sparked Ohio State's offense 
was a defensive score. And that's where the comparison is. Let's get into some of these injuries. Nathan, what did they have to say about these new – I mean, we maybe just can just run down the list here. Let's start with Cade Stover. What's the deal on Cade Stover? Why didn't he play against Rutgers? So we know that he's been dealing with a knee injury of some kind, right? Knee injury. He's been playing with that brace that he put on during the Penn State game, played with it last week at Wisconsin, warmed up with it and everything. He went through full warm-ups today and, you know, doesn't appear on the injury report. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go down this line very long. It's just you have a designation called questionable. And if you have a player who can play and you choose not to play them, I think that guy should still be listed as questionable. That's just me. I just I don't know why you aren't gonna why you wouldn't be transparent about that. But Ryan Day, for not the first time this year, said, Oh, he, he definitely could have played. We just chose not to play him. And uh again, under in the context, I think that I, I understand, I guess, where that's coming from. They're nine. They're down nine to seven at halftime. He comes out early from halftime, puts his helmet on. He did not have his helmet through the full, whole first half. Comes out after halftime, gets out on the field early, is warming up, is doing stuff by himself. You see him get on the headset. Obviously, I don't know who he was talking to, but if I had to guess, it might have been Keenan Bailey, who is up in the press box during games, the tight ends coach and the, the former um, you know, offensive staffer in other capacities. Um, maybe possibly trying to plead his case to get back into that game. Uh, those efforts were rebuffed and he had to watch the, the second half. So um, I think that was probably a temporary thing to maybe give him a chance to not sustain any more wear and tear on that knee and possibly heal up and get a chance to finish strong. I mean, again, he did all the warm up stuff. It wasn't like he was being held um, off and it wasn't like they, you know, if they knew 100% for sure that they weren't going to play him, I don't know why you wouldn't have left him home. Although he is a captain, you usually will travel the captains unless something's drastic. But um, yeah, uh, don't don't know why you can't just call him questionable and, and put that on the injury report. It it it, it, it costs you nothing, but um, it's what it's what he it's what it's why we're going to have to keep asking him questions that he doesn't want to answer about injuries because. Uh, when they do tell us, they point us to the gospel that is the availability report. It's often a uh, not not the gospel they want it to be. Gospel is a stretch for what we should be calling that thing. Andrew, we did talk with Josh Proctor after he got knocked out of the game on that pick six play. What did he say? Did he say what happened to him on that play? Well, I thought you know Nathan brought up a good point. Um, he, we wouldn't have talked to him if it wasn't. You know, like if if it was very serious, I don't, we wouldn't have spoken with him. Um, you know, he mentioned I, it was I, he got I forget the exact phrasing, but it was something like his bell got rung, or he was shaken up, or his head was ringing. I think you know, my you know, head that was, was ringing. That's what it was. Yeah, it was. It, he said yeah. his head was ringing, um, and he needed a few moments to collect himself. Um, so I hope all of those different comparisons to head ringing got you, uh, in the right frame of mind. So that, that was going on inside the brain of Josh Proctor at that moment, inside the head of Josh Proctor. Um, obviously it didn't look fun. Um, but it was also one of those plays where you saw him get up and there was it, they let him stay on the sidelines. Um, he obviously did not come back, but he talked to us after the game. And again, Nathan brought up a point, a good point where, He's not talking to us if it's serious, because if it's serious, he is not 
going out and seeing a bunch of cameras and talking to a bunch of people and doing a bunch of that. Um, so I thought that that was kind of important to know, but we'll see what it means moving forward in terms of his health. I'm not sure. I don't want to make any grand proclamations about what's going to happen next week against Michigan state, but it didn't, you know, he seemed to be fine. He kind of said, you know, just bell rung for a few minutes. Like it didn't seem to be a, you know, something that was, he was, kind of battling throughout the interviews and he seemed fine. And then he said, you know, like, you know, like I just said, um, you know, he was a bit shaken up there for a few minutes and then all was, all was fine. It sounded like. Nathan, those are the players who were here. Denzel Burke, Lathan Ransom, neither one of those guys are here. You asked Ryan day about those guys. And I mean, the way you asked the question, I thought that was a great way to ask the question to maybe get an answer. He didn't want to go. What did he say about Denzel Burke and Nathan Ransom and their status going forward? Yeah, so just the way that I phrased it was, how long is your defense going to have to do this without Denzel Burke and Nathan Ransom? And his answer was not especially positive, I guess you would say. For how, I mean, it wasn't especially enthusiastic, what am I say, optimistic. Now, um, that may have been him trying to be honest with me it may have been him wanting to reserve as much as he can because they want there's gamesmanship here and they want Michigan to not know who they're going to have available to play that game right like why not I, I get it uh, but the way here's what he said I don't have the answer to that and I don't think we know the answer to that so I, I we always try to parse his language um after five years you kind of get to know how a guy is saying things there's definitely times where he will say, I'm not talking about injuries. And there are times when he will say he will try to give us his best estimation. A lot of times coaches don't even really like to do that, though. They're not the doctors. They they turn all that stuff over to the doctors, and they're just sometimes making guesses. This, I really think, tells me that at least in the case of Ransom, and I don't know about Burke, and this is sometimes it's two completely separate cases. And when you ask about two guys at once, even though they are linked positionally somewhat here, you you run the the you run the risk of getting one answer about two guys that has a wide range, but when he says I don't have the answer to that and I don't think we know the answer to that, that tells me that evaluations are ongoing as to when what the timetable might be for one or both of them. Obviously, Denzel Burke went to Wisconsin and played last week, so it's not like um, we even uh, it was funny like not funny, but like you, when we were at practice on Wednesday, we were getting ready to shoot our post-practice videos, and you said, hey, did anybody see Denzel today? And I kind of, I didn't, like, dismiss it necessarily, but I was kind of like, well, I was, like, trying to watch these, like, eight other guys that we're, we were looking for that haven't been playing or that we think might not be playing, and and Denzel played last week, so he wasn't as high of a priority, so I actually hadn't even looked for him. So, lesson learned there, I suppose. Um but Ransom is the one that they've just never given anything close to a time frame on, right? Because Burke, even against Penn State, they said, well, he was close this week, at least, or close to practicing or whatever, and then did come back and play the next week. So that may have been more of a a, a, a temporary thing or a short-term thing. It's it, The Ransom is the one that just seems like it looms the largest because they've they've never given a timeline for it. So we did a video on this. And Andrew and I both said Cade Stover as like the guy who, who is the most concerning injury. And our reasons were for more or not 
listen, he's their best tight end. He's probably been their second most reliable weapon all season. And they do a lot of 12 personnel stuff. And so they probably need their best tight end and their second best tight end to be able to do that stuff. You went a different route with that. We also saw Tommy Eichenberg after the game. He did leave the game. He had a lot of ice on his left elbow, I believe. I think it was yes, left elbow after the game. He was walking fine, so we'll see. Add that one to the list of people that Ohio State is. This team is not 100% healthy, Nathan. And you said Tommy Eichenberg might be the most concerning of that group. I just want you to give the answer for that one, because especially because we Brian Day didn't give us necessarily a timeline with Lathan Ransom and Denzel Burke. Josh Proctor probably would have gone back in the game if they needed him to, given that he, I mean, that we got him after the game. And then Tommy Eichenberg, maybe he would have played again, maybe he wouldn't have, but he went back into the locker room. Why do you think he's the most concerning of that group? I don't know if Proctor would have gone back in. Like, they took his helmet. Like, anything when it's a head thing, they'll take your helmet. And he Fair. probably wasn't going back in. But I think they were, they were, they apparently got sufficient, um, you know, uh, diagnosis that it wasn't anything serious in the short term. Um, so with Eichenberg, and I didn't even see the play where it happened. Uh, but he's he's on the sidelines getting his, his arm looked at by trainers. Then he he sort of jogs to the locker room with them. And at that point, again, Ohio State, I think, might have already been up by 19 at that point, uh, by the time he actually left, and by the time maybe all of this happened. So it didn't end up – you almost thought of it like, okay, well, he's leaving – um, sort of like some other injuries have happened this year where it's it's late and there's no reason to put him back in, right? Um, the reason I picked him was twofold. Number one, I don't disagree with all the things you said about the importance of Kate Stover, but he was there and ready to play and wanted to play. And I think it, it would they may have to cut the leg off of him for him not to play against Michigan, right? And even then, I don't know, he might he might give it a go. Um, those things are typically true of, of Tommy Eichenberg too, right? Just his, his resolve and his, uh, intensity to play. They're both guys that you, you expect to, to do everything they can to get on the field for that game, especially. But the reason I picked Eichenberg was because Stover, we know is, is on the verge of playing Eichenberg. It's a very big unknown and it just happens to be probably the single most important game on the schedule to have Tommy Eichenberg, to have strong linebackers just because of what we were saying earlier in this podcast about how talented of a running game Michigan has and how much they're going to have to make stops before Blake Horm and Donovan Edwards and whoever else uh, break through and, and turn a, a small gain into a huge one. And if you, it's not a lack of confidence in Cody Simon, but what makes those guys better is having all three of them. And if you, if you stretch it a little more with two, not only is your depth compromised, but it, it's just, it's just harder. And, and Tommy Eichenberg is, is legitimately good. And if you think that Maryland was able to run the ball today and that was a problem, I'm just telling you, it's, it's, it's a much bigger problem if it's Michigan. So, and I guess that's the point people were trying to make. So maybe I'm, I'm back talking a little bit, but that's the reason I picked him was just for that specific game on the horizon and so much unknown as he was leaving this stadium today. I, it's it's the one that hangs out there the most as far as trying to beat Michigan, I think. Okay, so I want to hold the Travion conversation because I think Nathan and I are going to come back on Monday pod and on, on that rewatch pod and talk a lot of Travion Henderson because he's very much maximized a lot of his last 55 touches and it's helped Ohio State. I think it would make for a good conversation there. So I want to close here. 
on maybe more of a positive note, and this is from the 7-4-0. Shouldn't this game make everyone actually feel a little bit better, or am I just projecting? The defense played its worst game of the season, which is you know, obje- subjective to how you feel about things, and the offense outside of Trey was still clunky, and it was a weird road game against Shiana, who loves to pull out all the stops, yet OSU gets the cover. I'm going glass half full today. Andrew, I'll start with you. Ohio State won 35 to 16. It didn't always look great, but they won 35 to 16, and we saw flashes from some guys you are this team is very much counting on to help it potentially try to win a national cha- championship, but it also had some some weird stuff in it. If you had to pick an emotion for how you feel coming out of this game about Ohio State with three games left in the regular season that fans should feel, what would that emotion be? Content. You should be content with this team being where it's at because they're like it sounds hilarious because they're nine and zero. Uh, per the college football playoff, they're the number one team in the country, or the college football playoff rankings, I should say. They're the number one team in the country, and I mean, like, how many Ohio State fans? If we if we did this poll in August and we said, "Hey, Buckeye fans, you're going to be nine and zero and the number one team in the country after the first weekend of November." Anybody who said, well, I want to see it is probably crazy. Like anybody who said, I don't know if I would take that sight unseen is kind of crazy. Like you obviously take that nine and oh, number one team in the country. You take that. There are things to be kind of nitpicky about, I think, Um, you know, the McCord stuff, the the passing game stuff, like trying to get Emeka more involved. And there are some things you could point to there. I, I think the texture's right that. You know, there were a lot of issues with the run game and there were a lot of issues with the defense. You know, I mentioned that, you know, Rutgers did kind of kick some field goals where they, you know, were at the three, the four, the two. Like they could have they could have made this a little bit closer. They could have had more points than they did. Um, But this is also what Ohio State is like. I mean, every game that they've played this season has kind of been more or less this right. You know, the Maryland game was I thought a little bit similar to this. It kind of 37-17 was the final. You have a pick six. I know the pick six was in the first half. And there was just, there were moments where throughout the season, you look and say, oh, this might hurt him. And then it doesn't. Like, you know, you could say, oh, well, this, you know, the run game's got to get, the defensive run game's got to get better. And it, I mean, you allow 100 50 whatever 159 or whatever it was on the ground and that's fine so i i'd feel fine about where you're at i'd feel content about where you're at because there are still things to work out and i think it's fair to ask through nine games like hey how what how far can kyle mccord like how well can kyle mccord really play like how far can he climb through the rest of the season i think that's a totally fair question considering where we're at but this team is what it is, I think, more or less at this point. And it just so happens that is what it is at this point is the number one team in the country and is undefeated. So again, you always want to get better. You always want to improve. You always want Ohio State to win 56 to nothing. Like, like that's what I get people want. That I understand that, you know, hey, it's Rutgers. This is a game that Ohio State should win by five touchdowns. And, you know, we should be playing backups in the fourth quarter. I get it. But I don't know. I'd, I'd, feel, I'd feel pretty decent about where this team is at. On this idea that 
it's their worst defensive performance of the year. So Maryland, or sorry, Rutgers, haha. Rutgers finished with just just getting my my mid tier Big East Big Ten East teams confused. Rutgers finished with 361 yards of offense. 45 of those were on the trick play. So I'm not saying that it's okay to give up the trick play, but I'm saying that when you're measuring conventional defense, so that means to 12.4% of the yards that Rutgers got today came on that trick play. They came in averaging 5.3 yards per play. If you take the trip, uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. Rutgers offense came in averaging 5.18 yards per play. They averaged 5.3 today for the game. So it's not like they got more than they usually get against Ohio State. And if you take out the trick play, it goes down to 4.7. Not arguing that this was Ohio State's best defensive performance of the year. I just am pushing back a little bit on this idea that um, Ohio State's defense like cratered or showed uh, uh, massive I, I, vulnerabilities today. I, I don't get that. Um, and I think I think content is probably the right word. Listen, there was nothing Ohio State could do today to beat Michigan. Literally nothing. <laughs> Michigan is still going to be an incredible team when you play them in three more weeks. They are going to be the best team you've played all season if you're Ohio State. They are going to be the best offense you've seen. They're going to be the best defense you've seen. And I think there's probably a better than average chance that all those coaches are still going to be there. Connor Stallions is gone. I just don't know that I that this is going to get resolved before then in some way that throws Michigan into turmoil. I'm skeptical of that. This is the team you're going to have to beat. Progress has to be enough, like progress in terms of just winning on a week to week basis and progress in terms of like trying to just make incremental advances where you can. And it's harder to make incremental advances when half your starting defense is banged up in some way, which is what was the case was by the end of this game. Um, I just think people need to take all those things into context. Uh, I don't think you have to be happy with a win to be satisfied by a win. And to be content with a win. I'm not telling you not to hold this team to a high standard. We hold them to the high standard that they have set over the course of low these many generations and just even the past five years under Ryan Day, right? We do it. I feel like we do it here. We all we do it to an extent that people sometimes think we're being too negative. And yet here we are, the ones saying, like, this really wasn't that bad. You beat this team by 19 points. They never like really threatened you. It was funny, like we were uh our our colleagues at NJ.com in the fourth quarter. We're asking Andrew and I, uh, does this count? Does this count as a scare? Did Rutgers like put a scare into Ohio State today? And we were kind of like, uh, I mean, I think no. Ohio State fans might be a little bit scared of how they are not yet thriving on offense the way they want to be. I don't know that they were scared of losing this game, even when it was twenty-one to sixteen in the fourth quarter. Like he was like, does does Rutgers need does need to be like a one possession game and Rutgers has the ball like sort of half joking, but also sort of like reaching for what actually does count as um, as as putting a real threat into Ohio State in this in this series. And I, I just I don't think it got there. And I think this was the toughest of the three game stretch between Wisconsin and Michigan. The fact you had to go on the road and play a defense this good. I, I think that was the toughest of game of the stretch. And I think they are probably going to beat Michigan State by just all the points next week. Like, this could be one of those weeks where they just, like, unload. Like, Michigan State is not in a great place. I know they won today. They beat Nebraska, which is also just an afterthought program in the Big Ten right now, trying to claw its way back up. But it just that's where it's trending for me, is that this could be a week where – this next week could be a week where the offense, like, 
has its day. Um, Minnesota, I don't know. Minnesota has had moments this year, but it's uh, especially defensively, but actually not really because all it beat was Iowa and teams like that. So that may be another soft target. Um, it's it's just about, I think at this point, yes, you're trying to refine some things on offense and you're just trying to get everybody healthy to the Michigan game. So also keep that in mind the next two weeks, that it's more important that somebody plays against Michigan in whatever capacity than helps Ohio State look better in either of the next two weeks. There's definitely guys that that applies to. So a couple texts, one from Dustin in Minnesota. He actually sent his zip code, but I'm not going to put your information out there like that, man. I'm used to Ohio State closing the door on games like this. It is certainly more stressful to see this team close out games than it close faster. But 1-0 each week is the goal. Go Bucks. And then Tim from Columbus. As Al Davis used to say, just win, baby. Don't care if they win ugly, just win. After the Indiana game, I thought this might be a two or three loss Buckeye team, but they keep winning. If the Buckeyes get to Ann Arbor 11-0, this may be Ryan Day's best coaching job with a big assist from Jim Knowles. McCord and the offensive line are still a work in progress, but with Marvin Harrison Jr., a healthy Travion Henderson, Emeka Ibuka, everything is still possible with this offense on any given day. McCord continues to play well in second halves. The defense has been great, but worry they are getting worn down. Penn State, Wisconsin, and Rutgers are three straight physical teams. They could use a breather, but got to admit, this team has 2002 vibes, which that idea has been thrown out a couple of times where the 2002 team won a national championship while looking ugly the entire year. But they won a national title. And that it's never going to look that ugly because as a texter said earlier, the games are still not as close as they were in that 2002 scene, season. But when you, we've gone, grown accustomed to seeing the fireworks, especially on offense, but you're winning games 52 to 27 versus winning games 28 to 10, you're still winning by the same margin. It's just now it looks a little bit uglier because your defense has been awesome and your offense hasn't always looked so good. So I think I agree with you guys. Content is probably the right word, except for with one unit. Very quick, Nathan, what did Ryan Day say about this special teams issue? And then are we too are we too hard on Parker Fleming when the head coach is still probably making oh. some of these decisions on special teams? So, right. The question was asked what happens. It's like the second question he got. Like, you win by 19 points, you get questions about, like, weird, like, gaffes that stand out pretty early in your press conference. And um, he said, it was asked, like, what happened on the fake punt? And his answer was, that was not a fake punt. <laughs> it was not called as a fake punt, certainly, by any means. Because that's what is, people very quickly were like, Parker Fleming, Parker Fleming. And my thought at the time was, well, we don't know yet. If that was a fake punt that was called in a decision on the headset that everybody's involved in the conversation, then that is not Parker Fleming's fault. That is Ryan Day's fault for calling the fake punt. But Ryan Day then gets in front of us and says, that was not a fake punt. And we have to go figure out what was going on there. And he was asked to follow up later and basically said, like, I don't want to throw, I don't want to call out anybody yet until we go talk about it as a staff, right? Because I think there's, there are there's it, there's a possibility of two things that happened there. Either Jesse Mirko kind of freelanced something, and people, it's, it's you know, the same thing happened last year, by the way, when they played Rutgers. If everybody remembers, like, one side was overloaded. Iowa State was up by a comfortable margin in that game. Jesse Mirko read that, um, 
and took off running and ran for first down and Rutgers took exception to it. And, um, or, and, and also I think he got hit late out of bounds. Ohio State took exception to that. There was a whole, there was a whole exchange and the same, a similar setup. I'll have to go back and look at it, but it was kind of a similar setup tonight. Like one half was overloaded. The thing is Jesse Merkel is a right footed punter. And I don't know, even though he had more field to that side, I don't know that he would have been doing the, doing the rollout that direction and then also punting. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at it, but it seemed cause he tucked it immediately. This wasn't cause last year yeah. when he did it, he, he held the ball out it, rugby style and is running kind of trotting. And then he sees where everybody is. And then he runs with it. Then he became a running back here. He was like, it was like running the wildcat. Like he just tucked it and ran as soon as he got the snap basically. So, well, it was, so this may have just been something Jesse Mirko freelanced and that they were not set up to adequately block or, Maybe Jesse Mirko read the right thing and somebody else did something wrong. I, I, I don't know. But I think you could tell from his tone today. I, I, I'm trying not to infer too much. It just feels like I think Ryan Day is a little bit tired of this is like three or four weeks in a row where they're winning and then the number one team in the country. And so we have to come in every week and be like, hey, there was like a very big, noticeable special teams goof. Like what's going on there? And I think he's getting a little annoyed by having to do that. Well, the, it was very, I, I mean, I, I, it wasn't even just the punter. You could watch him take it and just run. Like it was the blockers too. the up backs kind of swung out to the left and then turned and they walled off to where they were facing where the ball was snapped from. So it was, it was, you're right. It was very clearly, at least to me, like very clearly someone, someone got the signals wrong or something yeah. happened where they wanted and, a fake punt and they didn't or they didn't want a fake punt and they got one like something happened with the the call to the field whether that's day to Fleming or the like the player like coach to player something happened there it, but like this was very clearly not ad-libbed or anything like that like this was this was very clearly they had set this up and the players just thought they're calling a fake punt and maybe, yeah, maybe there's a verbal thing between Mirko and the Upmen that we can't, yeah, I don't we know. don't obviously don't know. I, I would hesitate the, for that, but I mean, there's, there's, there's verbal calls all the time that you're doing, obviously on every cadence of every snap. So maybe there is, they told him that he's running with it now. Maybe that's how they just block it up every time in case he runs with it. I don't know. It just, it was, I defended the fourth and inches decision. I thought that was the right decision in their, in, in their own territory. I, I thought the play call was terrible. We can talk about that maybe tomorrow, Stephen. But <laughs> the 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 decision to go for it, I thought, was absolutely the right call. Um, I just thought it was either a terrible decision to, to do a fake punt there at that juncture of the game, or it wasn't supposed to be a fake punt. And that tells you that. So I think what Ryan Day is probably going to say is, I think what he maybe is wanting to find out is whether Jesse Mirko is supposed to know that what he did there wasn't their correct execution of that, or he hasn't been told that that's that that that, that isn't their correct execution of that. But it's two years in a row against Rutgers where something weird happened on a punt, and it's been week after week after week, at least last month or so, where something happens on special teams where that Ryan Day has to answer for it. And you know he got really remember last year when we had to keep yeah. coming in and asking him like, hey, what's and for a couple of years like, hey, yeah. what's the deal, deal with the defense? Like, what's and anytime we had to ask him about repeated things with the defense he gets frustrated because he's given someone else he's put someone in charge of the defense and he 
I know that this isn't a phrase that we use very much, but I've seen it in their annual performance reviews that he has used the, I'm almost sure, almost 100% sure that I saw this in, in the 2021 performance reviews, like head coach of the spe- of special teams is kind of how he looks at what Parker <laughs> Fleming does to special teams. But because, because you are, because you're the coordinator of, of special teams, like you are the head coach of special teams. And, and unlike, unlike, Jim Knowles being the head coach of defense, you're also you're not also the linebackers coach. Uh, so, I, I'm it's 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 it just is what it is, man. Like, and it's it's not just in a vacuum. It's like it has to go in context with the, how the whole coaching staff is comprised, and um, it, I think it probably makes it hard because now there's been enough little things. That what confidence do you have as Ryan Day that if you do scheme something up and you do call it and you do practice it and you think you've got something, what's your confidence level to actually pull the trigger and call it? Because it's and 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 we saw it last year. We saw it last year they mm-hmm. they had it set up against Michigan. It botches and that was a turning point in that game. And like you may need something like that against Michigan this year. And what is your confidence level right now, if you're Ryan Day, that you can call it? This man loves to make someone the head coach of something. You got the head coach of the defense, head coach of the special teams. Mark Mantoni is the head coach of recruiting. Mick Marotti is the head coach yeah. of strength and conditioning. We're just don't quote me on that. I just I'm, I'm I'm almost sure that I saw that in the 2021. I, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt given the head coach we're talking about here. I 100% will give you the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah. I think I have a fun theory. What if they're just having all these special team snafus to throw off Michigan so they're finally going to get it right against Michigan just because it comes full circle because that's where the special you think team doing snafus that began. I don't know, man. I'm just having fun with it. I don't know what's happening. You think they practiced all week to have like Lorenzo Styles go stand in the exact right <laughs> spot where that ball was going to bounce? Be- this would be a more intricate deep fake than the Michigan sign stealing operation. That's what I'm if they're, if they're doing, if they're I'm purposely tanking, yeah, they are not doing that. But no, of course they're not. It would be hilarious. I'm just having fun with it. I just, it's the, the real funny thing is for every week, there's a special team snafu for Ohio State. There's also another week worth of Michigan drama that's that comes out every friday so it's like a tradition at this point on fridays we get michigan drama on saturdays we get ohio state special teams issues and on sundays nathan and i sit down and rewatch the ohio state game from that saturday and on monday you get a pod on tuesday you get a recruiting pod and on wednesday we'll be back on all three of us together to talk with ryan day and jim Knowles and talk about what they had to say as ohio state prepares to play michigan state on saturday get the text 614-350-3315. 614-350-3315. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. That's Buckeye Talk on YouTube. Just type Buckeye Talk on YouTube and all our stuff comes up there. We do videos on there as well. For Nathan Baird, for Andrew Gillis, for the special team snafus, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk.